Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. This series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is David Chen, and I'm the Assistant Vice President for Pharmacy Leadership and Planning at ASHP, and I'll be your host. Today, we're sitting down with Anthony Scott, Director of Pharmacy Services at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, Dawn Moore, VP and Chief Pharmacy Officer for the Community Health Network in Indiana, and Patrice Dupart, Vice President and Apothecary-in-Chief at New York Presbyterian Hospital in New York. And today, we're going to discuss diversity, equity, and inclusion in pharmacy. So, Tony, Dawn, Patrice, thank you, and thank you for joining us today for this conversation. So, let's go ahead and get started. I'd like to ask a question of all three of you as we begin our our conversation today. And what I'd like to ask each of you is to share your perspectives on the challenges in our nation on improving diversity, equity, and inclusion, such an important topic in our society and in our organizations. And, And if you can share a little bit of your personal stories on the mentors that have supported your success to reach your positions as pharmacy executives. And you know, maybe Tony, if I could ask you to start us off and Dawn and then followed up by Patrice. Thank you, David. Appreciate the uh, opportunity to chat with you all and do the podcast session today. When I reflect on this question and thinking about just challenge, challenges, not just within my respective areas, but also across the nation, I look at the DEI lens and even including belonging in there. So DEIB as an opportunity for us to think about how we can continue to make progress. Sometimes large initiatives or large goals around topics of this nature can seem a little daunting or can seem a little bit overwhelming. And so I think that creates challenges in terms of where do we start, how do we move forward, and what kind of perspectives can we engage in and connect with our colleagues on to figure out how we can improve our organizations, improve our departments, and create more diverse and inclusive spaces for everyone to achieve the goals and to see successes across the different continuum of care. So for me, I look at that as a not just a challenge, but also a call to action. And I think from my personal story, I wouldn't be in my position where I am today as a director of pharmacy services here at Emory without good mentors and good engagement from leaders who not only looked like me, but believed in me and supported me and gave me the opportunity to kind of show what I could do from a skill set and from a performance perspective. And so I'm in deep gratitude to them for that. But I think that's also a good opportunity for us as leaders to remember our call for collaboration and being good colleagues and mentoring others and helping support people get to positions of success that they have goals for. And I feel like I'm a direct product of some of that mentorship. So leaders like Christy Norman and Kevin Colgan and, you know, Brian McCarthy and other folks that I've worked with in my direct career, I'm very grateful to them. So uh, that's my story and that's my reflections on challenges from my perspective. Thank you, Tony. And Dawn? Yes, thank you, David. I am very grateful to have this opportunity to participate on the podcast today. As far as the your, your question around DEI and what we experience in our organizations, I would say that we've not hired enough professional caregivers and leaders to adequately represent the patient populations that we serve. Some or many organizations are trying. However, we all realize that, you know, it would take time to achieve the desired level of diversity in caregivers, including pharmacists. I would add that, you know, we continue to see in healthcare overall that African-Americans and Latinx populations 
have inferior health outcomes and satisfaction scores when it comes to the care received when compared to their Caucasian counterparts. This creates the ongoing call to action on our parts and our behalves and helping to achieve the level of diversity in those areas. In transitioning to my personal story around DEI and understanding the challenges that are still ahead, I was also fortunate to have mentors and sponsors throughout my journey, in which my journey continues today. I refer to it as my village of mentors, and they include men and women of all races and various professions. I have not always had the opportunity to have mentors that look like me. However, I'm greatly appreciative of the ones who did take out the time to help guide me and mentor me in the right directions from a professional standpoint. Throughout my entire career, I've been encouraged by my mentors not to migrate to a location because it was popular, rather go where there was solid opportunity for growth, progressive practice, and engaged and forward-thinking leaders. I can say that this has been consistent in my journey as I started at Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida, moved to Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, and then on to Iowa City, Iowa, and then to Indianapolis, Indiana. So at times I felt like I was not progressing in the most diverse areas in society. However, they were the best decisions I made along my journey. Oh, thank you, Dawn, for those comments. And Patrice. Hi, David. Thank you for inviting me to this very important podcast. And, you know, I would say, David, in terms of the challenges faced in our nation around uh, DEI and organizations, over my career, I have certainly seen the lack of diversity, equity, inclusion, particularly at the leadership level. And that's both at the mid-level and also senior level management. You know, I believe it's because many different reasons. One, probably the, certainly the lack of developing minority candidates, the lack of mentorship and sponsorship. Also, sometimes people just not seeing the potential in people of color. And unfortunately, sometimes HR departments not committed to recruiting minority team members. You know, I would say it has gotten better. I've been in leadership for over 20 years, but it hasn't gotten exponentially better. I have seen and been the only African-American manager at times and at hospitals, sometimes the only African-American director on a team. You know, over the past few years, I think DEI has certainly garnered a lot of uh, attention and people are, you know, talking about it and using you know, DEI and pushing initiatives, but talk, I say it's good, but we really have to, we really have to take action. And, and I will say in my organiz current organization at New York Presbyterian, it has been a priority of our CEO long before DEI became fashionable or a coined term. His commitment for our teams, the hospital and the entire organization, I must say has been really remarkable. I think for my personal self, I have created a very diverse team, but it's been very intentional. It has taken a lot of work and we do have, you know, so many different ethnicities, religions, sexual orientations, what have you on my team. I think I will continue to do this work and I encourage all of us across, 
you know, the pharmacy field to work at creating uh, very diverse teams. And my story is that I was a non-traditional student in pharmacy. I had four kids when I finished pharmacy school. So certainly I had to have a lot of mentors and a lot of support to help me to become a pharmacist. You know, I did a residency at Ashna Health System that took preceptors, Debbie Simonson, who everybody kind of knows in pharmacy, was our director at the time, their encouragement and support. Also, I'm one of 14. I have 14 brothers and sisters. I have the support and some of my sisters were my mentors because they had finished college before me, but they encouraged me to continue my education. Xavier, my instructors there, encouraging me with the kids and all what was going on. You know, you have to have people encouraging the learning process. And in terms of my career, I would say, like Adon said, and it's not always a person of color. I've had Caucasian men and different people who saw something in me and, you know, helped me get my first leadership position and helping me hone my skill sets to further advance in the field of pharmacy. And I will agree with Dawn, I've had to move to different areas to broaden the scope and scale of my work. And right now in New York City, certainly it's a big scale, but it has taken years to develop and, you know, get to this position. So that's pretty much my story. Patrice, that was very insightful. And I can really identify with all of the points that you brought out. I would like to add that I appreciate a quote by Cy Wakeman, which says, your circumstances are not the reason you can't succeed. Rather, they are the reality in which you must succeed. And I think between all of us, we have demonstrated that this is the case. Thanks, Don. I love that quote. And I'm always one for quotes. I think they just sort of give you that charge and a little bit of focus. What I really appreciate also what the three of you just said, you actually introduced a number of different facets on this large, this large topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Tony, you introduced the word belonging and how do you create that environment for, of belonging. I'd like to move to Don to ask you the next question. You know, a couple of events that you know, I'm pretty proud of ASHP and our leaders and members on a couple of initiatives that ashp has embarked upon and i know you've been part of both of those dawn on the women in pharmacy leadership and the task force on racial diversity equity and inclusion could, could i ask you to reflect on how these initiatives have been successful and also ask you what do you feel are areas where you feel you know quote unquote the work is still not complete yes thank you for that question david and i agree i would like to begin by saying that I applaud ASHP's efforts to address these important longstanding issues that have unfortunately plagued our society and profession, and I'm honored to have participated in this important work. ASHP's initiatives regarding women in pharmacy leadership and task force on racial diversity, equity, and inclusion were both born as calls to awareness and action. In 2015, ASHP convened the Women in Pharmacy Leadership Steering Committee to provide recommendations to increase, of course, the pipeline and the promotion of female pharmacy leaders. The goal was to facilitate the awareness and discussion of barriers 
to leadership development and promote, of course, a culture that values and capitalizes on women's unique perspectives in gender style differences. Now, the interest and engagement in this initiative has not ceased, which is great. Virtual and in-person networking opportunities are still very well attended. And there is a nice collection of resources provided by ASHP to help educate, encourage, and inspire the growth and advancement of women leaders, which is very important. Now, yes, opportunities still exist as the higher the leadership title, the lower the percentage of leaders identifying as female. So for a little more context, as printed in the 2022 AJHP article, Women in Leadership Pharmacy, the journey continues. Approximately 64% of the pharmacists identify as female within ASHP's membership. However, when we look at leadership roles, there's approximately 62% serving in a manager or supervisor role that identify as female. And the percentage continues to decline as the title advances, reaching only 40% identifying as female serving in a vice president and or chief pharmacy officer of a multi-hospital health system. So it's definitely important that we continue the work involving educating on work-life integration needs and strategies as burnout is real. And we see it more and more now. And we have to capitalize on mentorship and sponsorship opportunities for those identifying as female when we can. Now, five years later, you know, fast forward to June 2020 on the heels of the killings of George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, the ASHP Board of Directors unanimously approved the creation of the task force on racial diversity, equity, and inclusion to advise ASHP on how to further address and assess matters of this cause as they relate to issues facing Black, Indigenous, and people of color, also termed as BIPOC. So the areas of focus internally to ASHP included the governance and committees, education and training, research, advocacy, publications, marketing and communications. And it was successfully led by Paul Walker with many distinguished leaders from different areas of pharmacy practice across the nation, which brought in a diversity of ideas and thoughts on how to address these opportunities. There's been commendable progress made from the board, adopted recommendations, demonstrating ASHP's strong commitment to DEI. And some of these successes include ASHP was very bold and forward in printing an inclusion statement that was created and published to reinforce the intolerance of any form of hate or discrimination, which I thought is definitely necessary. So there's no misunderstanding or question about ASHP's values when it comes to DEI. Another success is the increasing diversity among ASHP's committee appointments. There's BIPOC representation in committee appointments, which continue to be more than 30%. And that's through the changes of the processes and policies embedded into the appointment process, which is commendable and shows that ASHP is committed to making these changes happen. 
The diversity of the AJHP editorial board also has been expanded to include 30% BIPOC and 54% female representation. There's guided mentorship programs that was launched with targeted outreach to colleges of pharmacy at HBCUs with the high enrollment of BIPOC students. And also the foundation, our foundation is pulled in in which it awards scholarships to students at HBCUs in order to help them with their education and participation in ASHP events. So there's just a plethora of successes throughout the journey and helping to address DEI opportunities. There's more work to be done for sure. And again, in areas of mentorship and sponsorship, and also visibility of and access to those who have successfully navigated parts of a journey that can directly relate. ASHP remains committed in advancing the initiatives, not only for BIPOC, but also for LGBTQ plus and other segments of our society and profession that experience undue challenges with equity and inclusion. So I am very proud of our organization and all the work that has been done and the commitment to do more in terms of equity and inclusion. Well, thank you, Dawn, for sharing that information. It's so important to create momentum. And I think I heard you say, and Tony mentioned earlier, the words call to action right and how do you bring people together to create that call to action and help define it and you also mentioned you know mentorship and sponsorship and i'd like to move the next question to patrice because i know you are invested in developing a strong workforce in pharmacy and from a prior conversation we had you had mentioned a fellowship you had established at new york presbyterian hospital can you share what this fellowship is how you establish the program and your long-term vision of the program and how it fits into your larger goals. And also, if you wouldn't mind, can you include some lessons learned for our listeners that might be interested in investing in a similar program? Oh, absolutely, David. It's one of the most exciting things I've done in my career is to break this fellowship, and I'm so excited about it. The fellowship is the New York Presbyterian Pharmacy Administration Fellowship. It is a two-year fellowship program targeted to graduating pharmacy students from historically black colleges and universities that have a college of pharmacy. And I'm excited to say, you know, I got the first two fellows from my alma mater, Xavier University. You know, the fellowship was created to grow pharmacy leaders, not only in the field of pharmacy administration, but in overall hospital administration across the healthcare system. You know, the selected candidates will have an opportunity to do rotations in areas of pharmacy like regulatory, quality, med safety, specialty pharmacy, informatics, inventory management. But also, I wanted to give them an opportunity to see areas outside of pharmacy, like our fellows can ask to have a rotation in our legal department that advises the hospital. You know, we have a big legal department. Also, finance, if they wanted to see how the financial operation works, marketing. So, you know, what I've told the fellows is that, you know, your two years, you would have gained experience that I pretty much have seen over my career in a shorter period of time. I'm hoping, you know, once they finish, they decide to start their career either at New York Presbyterian or somewhere in hospital pharmacy practice. In terms of how was it, it established, you know, I have to give credit to 
my current boss, I pretty much piggybacked this program off of a fellowship program. I report into the chief information officer and slash chief transformation officer. He had already established an IT fellowship program targeting HBCUs, and he went particularly to Morehouse and Spelman to bring more minority candidates into the IT world. And I had an opportunity to mentor some of these young people. And the whole time I was thinking, I have to do this for pharmacy. So luckily for me, last year, I was able to get to FTEs and was able to create the fellowship. And we got, like I said, our first two fellows from Xavier. I'm just really excited that we were able to start the program. In terms of my long-term vision for the program would be to grow the number of fellows if I get an opportunity to do so, and also open up to other HBCUs across the country with the intentions to select, you know, a good diverse cohort of candidates. And I would think maybe if we really have this program over some time, maybe open it up to all colleges of pharmacy and perhaps even open up to other disciplines where people can come in and just learn about pharmacy practice, learn about pharmacy administration and choose that particular career path. David, we did have some challenges in terms of trying to start quickly because we got the two FTEs and we needed to recruit and you know our time enough recruiting wasn't optimal. So we had recruited after you know, people had graduated and took residency. So the timing of recruiting, we learned, was very important. And also, we learned that having the candidates to have their license as a practicing pharmacy before starting, you know, when you move to a different area of the country, sometimes it's stressful and then trying to, you know, get your license. So we, we definitely want them to have their license as a practicing pharmacist before they come. We also saw what we need to assign mentors. You know, like in the residency programs, I think, I know we have a large cohort of residents, so they get to bond with each other and can share experiences with each other. So we wanted, we assigned them mentors kind of, you know, a little later in the program. And also the entire team who are precepting. have to remember that the candidates are new graduates and we needed to develop still some basic components of pharmacy practice before kind of putting them into a more rigorous type of, not rigorous, but just more intensive rotations. So those are a few of the lessons learned. We, you know, this is our first year. It will be some, I think, continued takeaways, but those are kind of the short ones for right now. But I'm really excited about this fellowship and we're right now in the process of recruiting for our next two. They'll start at the end, I think in September. That's terrific. Thanks, Patrice. I think there always needs to be those first, and then there's the the lessons learned, but just listening to you of having the vision and then putting it into practice, and now sounds like the phase of building it for sustainability. That's a, a great story, and, and really hopefully others can learn from this and get themselves thinking about opportunities that can help with DEI efforts and training future leaders in pharmacy which is a great bridge to the next question I'd like to ask you, Tony, because you were co-author for the AGHP manuscript titled Leading Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Efforts Within the Pharmacy Department. And I think what Patrice just described is you could say fits kind of nicely in what I read as some of the tactics that you guys wrote in that paper, you and Ricky Ogden. Can you provide for our listeners some of the key points and other tactics that you described in the article 
And have there been any reflections or I guess reflections on your behalf or feedback that you've gotten from peers based on this publication and, and some of the related work that you did in association with it? Yeah, thank you, David. I think one thing that I appreciate about Patricia's story there is, you know, a lot of our tactics and strategies and goals that we had wanted to achieve when we set out on drafting this publication was to put the call to action and put things into place. And Patrice is a great example of being able to do that in a real tangible and achievable way. So it's great to hear stories like that. First of all, I want to give a shout out also to my my buddy, Ricky Ogden, who was my co-author on the paper. It was a labor of love, as we like to say, but very rewarding process. And I feel like we were able to really start with the why and talk a lot about the foundation of what the DEI work looks like, specifically in the workplace and how leaders can support a lot of those initiatives and efforts. So we spent a lot of time just thinking about how do we make this realistic and how do we make this tangible so people can have takeaways and even if you're not a leader, having a road to navigate down the path of creating environments of inclusion and equity and belonging and all those terms that we've been focusing on during our discussions today. So a big part of that, again, was starting with the why, also understanding that there's adaptability for DEI visibility and goal setting and data collection and having a good foundation to start with across all departments, not just pharmacy. So really getting some engagement around how do you engage your multidisciplinary stakeholders? How do you understand ways to move forward and kind of understand current state, future state? It's very hard to set goals around DEI in terms of we want a certain percentage of this type of gender or age or disability status or sexual orientation. So you're really not targeting goals that hit a specific number or a specific percentage, but you're looking for general improvements and you're looking for really overall assessments of what your teams look like. Do they reflect the patient populations that you serve? And are they supporting your organizational goals for having the best outcomes and being able to be sustainable from a workplace perspective? So I think that's another really big piece of that takeaway for the audience to think about and consider as they're kind of reflecting on some of those opportunities within their respective organizations. You know, we also try to focus a lot on understanding implicit bias and figuring out ways to elevate equity and inclusion working with leaders and peers and other stakeholders to not just create change but also create behavioral adjustments that change the culture you know there's a, a famous saying there saying that you know culture and strategy and culture will eat strategy for lunch and so if you've got a great strategy but you don't have the right culture to support it it's really hard to make progress so we spent a lot of time talking a little bit more about that and how you can combat some of those roadblocks in the dei journey ahead coaching and mentoring i think we've talked a lot about that in terms of our success stories as from a leadership perspective, again, I'm the product of great mentors and coaches, and so paying that forward, but also understanding how you can support relationships and peer-to-peer -peer involvement and development through those types of in-person networking and even virtual networking types of affiliations is really supportive. And then, you know, we also spoke a lot about goal setting and identifying champions and sponsors and making sure that leadership team are engaged with frontline staff, lockstep, and being open and transparent and honest about initiatives, goal setting, progress, opportunities, and all those types of things. So, you know, the feedback has been great. I've gotten a lot of engagement, not just through social media, but through my peer relationships and through our networks about questions or success stories or clarifications about certain topics or things that we can focus on, particularly around data collection and kind of understanding uh, the dynamics of existing teams and how do we move the needle forward there. You know, myself as a leader here, not just at Emory, but in my previous organizations, that's kind of been a personal charge for me to understand my impact on diversity and also kind of paying it forward to make sure that I'm being as inclusive as possible and not being satisfied because I've got a leadership role or being satisfied because we've got, you know, one or two people who maybe check a certain type of box from a 
diversity perspective and, you know, calling it quits there, but also just keeping the charge set forward and making sure that we're prioritizing that and not getting too complacent in terms of future states and moving the needle there. I also would like to say, you know, we've seen a lot of discussions around the country around larger organizations in the private sector and their struggles with DEI and, you know, reversal of positions and, you know, lack of prioritization and companies feeling like they have not seen those the business success or the the financial success related to focusing on DEI. And so I think some of that negative press has really kind of reinforced our need to not just keep it as a prime goal, continue to engage with organizations like ASHP to make sure that it remains at the forefront of discussion and making sure that it doesn't become something that was a hot topic but faded away due to other priorities and uh, really figuring out ways to um, create some longevity there. So we've gotten a lot of questions and engagement from our peers related to that after the publication went out. And I think we'll have a lot more engagement there. I've even gotten communications for discussions and talks at conferences from other disciplines. There's a National Society for Histotechnology. They reached out to me a couple of weeks ago to be able to speak to their group about some of those initiatives. So it's great to see that it's spreading outside of just specifically our pharmacy network and healthcare and spreading to other disciplines and trying to apply some of those principles there. So looking forward to see some of the fruits of that labor and seeing some of the, those reflections and growth continue to happen related to this topic. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Again, congratulations for the effort you and Ricky committed to that. You know, just listening to you three today, you know, I, I sort of feel that I'm hearing like three things that are kind of merging together as I, we come to the, the last question I'd like to ask all of you. There's this leadership and vision, right? And then there's leadership and the structure for change. And then there's the leadership and encouraging others to pursue opportunities and leadership roles, which you know brings me to the question I'd like to close on today. On a recent uh, call that you three were on, uh, volunteer leaders with ASHP, you know, we discussed that role, as you've all three mentioned already, the importance of role models, mentors, building communities that are all part of encouraging future leaders in the profession. And the three of you clearly have very esteemed careers and have given back so much to the profession and communities. Could I ask you each to share a couple of thoughts on the value of pursuing leadership roles and the formal leadership roles and how you went about finding mentors and building those relationships? And as we wrap up today, any other advice you would have to share with those that find themselves interested in following in your paths? And so if we could start with you, Don and Patrice, and then Tony. Yes, great question, David. Another great question. As we know that one can lead in any role, however, for the level of change and impact that we really want to occur, we need a greater diversity of competent leaders in higher leadership roles. Now, when we look at the impending shortage within our profession, the shortage is prevalent in leadership roles too. I like this saying, it is challenging to be what you cannot see. Thus, from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective, we have to set the example and help others. If you're seeking mentorship, keep in mind that you can have multiple mentors. They can be within pharmacy or outside of the profession. Sometimes you may have to ask others if they'll be willing to serve in this capacity. Now, your mentors don't, again, have to look like you, but they should be someone that you can trust. I will take this opportunity to acknowledge the intersection of gender and race inequity as a professional Black woman. While there is some progress for women in leadership roles and inclusion in diversifying boardrooms, minoritized women 
continue to be less represented among those selected. This intersectionality is easily overlooked, which can lead to further marginalization. Thus, intentionality in this regard is important. There's a great article published in AJHP from 2022 with Dr. Lakeisha Butler as one of the authors titled Acknowledging the Intersection of Gender and Inequity and Racism, Identifying a Path Forward in Pharmacy, if there's interest in reading more about it. Now, switching gears to key pieces of advice that I can impart, one would be to lean into opportunities versus shying away. Get rid of the imposter syndrome because you're good enough. Progress is impossible without change. Two, cultivate strategic relationships because many times it's who you know and who knows you that can help sponsor your advancement. Three, stay calm under pressure. Do not become easily rattled. Emotional intelligence is important. Now, some may question if that's fair as others can lose control and it's accepted. But the reality is that we still function in an environment in which expectations and acceptance can be different for different people. And four, always look to grow and develop your skills. Avoid becoming stagnant. What got you there won't keep you there. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to change your title or have a new role. There are so many things you can continue learning and or expand in your participation in professional organizations such as ASHP. I will yield to Patrice to express some of her insights. Thank you, Dawn. And those were some very insightful words that you gave. You know, I would say in terms of the value of pursuing a leadership role, I think what I've gained in pursuing a leadership role is a path that enabled me certainly to exert influence and direction on growth in my chosen field. It has also helped me facilitate innovation and change where, you know, I think it was necessary, particularly on education and training, on changing the pharmacy practice model at organizations when it needed to change. It has helped me change the makeup of the workforce by creating new roles, seeking out ensuring diversity of teams. And most importantly, I would say setting an example of strong leadership, leading with confidence and trust and integrity has been what has been certainly of value to me. When I speak of you know, how to find mentors and build a strong relationship, I would tell young people and young leaders to look around in your organization, seek out those people who are in the roles you would want to be in, ask them to be your mentors. I know at New York Presbyterian, we have a leadership academy. You can nominate, uh, young leaders to be a part of that academy, and they have to fill out the application as well. I would encourage them to seek out any leadership opportunity that would make them a better leader. I was just getting off the elevator at New York Presbyterian, going to our corporate office, and a young man recognized me, and he asked me, would I speak with him about leadership? And I would say to other, to my colleagues and other leaders, take those opportunities to share your experience with young leaders to help them to learn and grow. In terms of learning and growing, I told this young man, be open to honing your skill sets, not always thinking you're going to take a giant step forward. Sometimes in my career, I've taken a side step or even a step back, but always take an opportunity to experience the job that you're in 
and knowing that, you know, whatever you learn will help you grow to the next position. I thank David and ASHP for this opportunity to share, but it has been a really great career over the 20 years, but always I take the opportunity to learn and grow, starting to hone my skill sets and, you know, share anything that I have to young leaders and my teams. Great. Thank you, Donna, Patrice, and Tony. Yeah, great reflections there from Donna and Patrice. Happy to contribute a little bit more there. You know, I think when I reflect on my journey as a leader and even deciding to pursue admin residency way back in the day and kind of setting that fast track toward leadership positions, my reflections and my work to date in pharmacy was very limited and I didn't really recognize how vast of a scope or what was ahead of me in the moment. I'm very glad I made that decision and even more so thrilled about it now to seeing what's happening across the profession and across the country. But it's a really good opportunity to kind of understand a lot of us have started from humble beginnings and have continued to put that time and work in to kind of get to where we are. So pursuing leadership for me has been not just value added from a growth perspective in terms of personal and professional development, but it's also been a good way for me to network and engage with peers with similar interests and people who are wanting to do the same thing as me, which makes me which makes me smile and makes me happy about the work that I've done. You know, I've seen through my engagements with just, you know, professional and societies and other different cohorts of pharmacy. You know, you see the incoming and graduating HSPAL residents and you see the work happening at PALRC and you see a lot of things happening within the section advisory groups and some of the other sessions or forums that kind of prop up our future leaders and see the future of the profession. And, you know, it's a lot of a lot of things to be excited about and a lot of things coming forward that we can really kind of build momentum on to, to make sure that we're promoting not just DEI, but also promoting workplace safe spaces and effective teams that, you know, will continue to grow and push our profession forward. So I think a lot of that comes from not just understanding what leadership is, but that relationship development that, you know, Don and Patrice highlighted there, being open and honest about what you want to do and what you don't want to do, understanding that change is not easy. And if you're, you know, pursuing change journeys or pursuing opportunities that require a lot of change or moving the needle, you've got to be committed and you've got to be kind of in it for the long haul. And also just, you know, being your authentic self. I think my reflections with my peers and people who've mentored me, you know, I think they're genuine, the genuine connections and what's been helpful there is we've been able to be open and honest and be reflective, but also just be who we are and not have to be put on facades or act like, you know, we're better than what we are capable of doing or acting like we've done more than we need to or things like that. But we've just been very reflective and very open. And I think that's helped support those relationships. So I'm at the point in my career now where I feel like I am more focus even more so now to try to get back and be a more of a mentor versus the mentee and continue to kind of support those who are coming behind me and those who are growing with me. And so continue to kind of focus on that call to action and developing leadership there. And, you know, being a, a leader who identifies himself as a diverse candidate, you know, being an African-American male, I know that that's an opportunity to kind of set a path for those who are coming behind me to do good work and also prepare them for success and make sure that when we're continuing to pursue different roles or people are backfilling our roles or whatever our spaces in the leadership realm that, you know, we left it better than how we found it. So that'll continue to be my push and focus going forward. And I think we can all do a lot to reflect on that if you're a leader or not and thinking about how that impacts DEI and belonging and what we want to see with the future of our profession and uh, see that in healthcare as well. Thank you all three. What a great conversation. Taking a piece of the quote that Don just shared with us, the three of you certainly have shared more light on all that we can strive to be as we improve diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. So thank you so much for this conversation. 
really appreciate the time that you spent with us and sharing a piece of yourselves with our listeners. And so for our listeners, that's all the time we have today. And again, we want to thank Don, Tony, and Patrice for joining us today to discuss diversity, equity, and inclusion in pharmacy. And for our listeners, you can find more member-exclusive content, including resources for self-development, leading pharmacy enterprises, and teams and practice management on the ASHP website. So thank you all for joining us in this conversation today. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to ASHP Official Podcast. And with that, we'll say thank you for being here and have a great day. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.